Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 28th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Barely a voice, but I got to suck it up because we got a jam-packed show. Uh, You can make the argument it's the biggest week so far in the college football season. And then week six is going to come along and it's going to punt week five. But over the next two weeks, I put these graphics out, courtesy of our own Ted Hyman on Twitter yesterday. What a glorious 14-day stretch, really like a seven-day stretch, if you think about the math, that we have upon us. And I saw one of you say today, and you're absolutely right, you can tell it's a renaissance season. Not only because all these favorites are falling, not only because we've had a record number of AP, top 25 teams fall, no one out there, or hardly anyone out there, is talking about the playoff. And that's a very good thing. That's the way it always should be, but we'll take it when we can get it. That's a very good thing. As you know, it is a jam-packed Tuesday. We have got predictions wall-to-wall for week five tonight. We're going to hit Ole Miss-Bama. We're going to hit Arkansas-Georgia. We are absolutely going to hit Notre Dame taking on Cincinnati. I've got a list of games here that we're not even going to be able to get to tonight that I will get to by Thursday that will just blow your mind. If you don't believe me that this is the biggest weekend so far, I'll prove it to you in just a second. I also have a brand-new JP poll for you tonight. Huge movement, the biggest single mover that we'll probably see all year. And it's a rising team. The biggest one we'll probably see all year on tonight's poll. And I've got two more added best bets for you. So we have got a loaded show. you got to make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. We put out two more best bets today. I do not know if those lines have moved, but as you know, they often do. So make sure you're following there. Listen to this list of games. Before we dive into tonight... This is the list of games I cannot get to tonight and keep the show under three hours. Iowa, Maryland. That is an undefeated against undefeated on a Friday night. It's a standalone Friday game. Texas is favored by about four or four and a half at TCU. Forget about last week. Just please forget about last week. It's only going to lead you into trouble if you're betting that game. Michigan at Wisconsin. Oklahoma on the road against Kansas State. We've got Florida on the road against Kentucky. Baylor and Oklahoma State. That's a couple of undefeateds. Indiana is at Penn State. Huge revenge spot there. Auburn's headed to LSU. That line is under four. Those are the games we can't get to tonight. And so think about all we're about to get to. Hey, I got some good news for you as we dive into the first prediction. I was messing around on the internet last night, but in a pure, clean way. And I was looking at how our podcast is performing. And I was stunned. I did not know this because I don't check every single week, but I chose to check last night. Do you know we have a top 15 podcast in all of the world when it comes to football, NFL or college? And I'm not talking about what you're watching on YouTube right now. I'm talking about purely podcasts, the Late Kick podcast. It's top 15 in football. It's top 70 in all of sports. As you guys know, that's our secondary platform. That's not even our primary platform. Uh, Those are bonkers numbers because we have zero dollars being pumped into promoting this. I mean, none, uh, as you know. So thank you for that. That was a huge surprise last night. Thank you for that. I started texting some of the high-level mustaches here and said, excuse me, you need to be aware of this. Send us more resources. Thank you. So the uh, test balloon has been sent out. We'll see what they send us. Okay, let's dive in. I was talking to our buddies who can sometimes be jerks but are normally wonderful people over at College Football Nerds. They put out their previews ridiculously early. I don't even know how they do it that early. But I was talking to them today about the traffic that they've seen on their Arkansas-Georgia video versus their Ole Miss-Alabama video. And they were very surprised about the fact that the Arkansas-Georgia video had just gone out of this world. And it made me think, should we reconfigure the show tonight? But it was already too late. I didn't want to put that on Jesse's lap this late in the game. 
So um, we were going to do all the games, but we're going to start with the game that we're going to be at with the Renaissance Tour this Saturday. Ole Miss at Alabama. Bama favored by what? Not 20, 14 and a half. We will be in the house at Bryant-Denny Stadium. This is the 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 local kick on uh, CBS. Do you remember this game last year? Yeah, you probably do. Perception reality. It, uh, it, poses, it poses a very interesting picture for how this year's game may play out. Which proposition, if I were to read these two propositions to you, which of these scares you more if you had to face it? Would you rather face going into Bryant-Denny Stadium, a crowd that is going to absolutely be fired up, and facing a Nick Saban team that's had you circled, so you're going to get their best shot, in other words. Would you rather face that, or would you rather deal with the proposition of facing Lane Kiffin absolutely labeling you his Super Bowl and having two weeks to prepare for you? with a complete nothing-to-lose mentality, operating the same way an elite Xbox gamer would call plays if they ever got on a sideline, which would you rather face? What would concern you more? So the perception reality thing, sometimes it matters. Uh, sometimes they, they sync up, sometimes they don't. But the 2020 game, I think a lot of people are viewing this against the backdrop of 2020, and with, I don't know, good reason, but with reason that makes a lot of sense because this was a game where Bama got pushed last year. 62-48 to was the final. But when you think about the game from last year and you think about how Ole Miss did it, what comes to your mind? And I think what comes to a lot of your minds is what normally comes to the mind of anyone who's thinking about Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss offense, and that is just bombing away. Deep ball after deep ball, elite passing attack, probably carved Alabama up. What if I told you that last year, en route to 48 points against Alabama, Ole Miss threw the ball 29 times, and they ran the ball 57 times. 29 to 57, pass to run. They ran it for 268 yards. The thing that stood out to me the most in this game last year, as it related to Ole Miss's offense, was how easy yards on the ground came. I said at the time, I'll say it again, I thought Lane Kiffin was very, very surprised at how easy they were able to run the ball. Because I thought what their approach going into the game was going to be heavily reliant on is probably a two-to-one pass-to-run ratio. And I thought they were going to give some token looks in the run game, but they fully expected to be stymied at the line of scrimmage. And then they weren't. Not only were they not, they started ripping off chunk run after chunk run, chunk run. Could be like a punk rock band. Uh, But they were successful. It never stopped. They were successful all night long. Bama had over 30 missed tackles in the game. It was not exactly a clinic of epic proportions for Pete Golding and Nick Saban in the defense. But um, there were some crazy things that happened in this game last year. And the reason I am heavily leaning on referencing last year is because I think a lot of this ties into this year's game. Their running backs and tight ends at Ole Miss, that's how they did it last year. And let me tell you how far that statement goes. Keep in mind, they scored 48. They had over 600 yards total offense. Alabama's top two corners in this game last year gave up a combined one pass for 11 yards, at least one pass completion. How does that happen? How how do you have the top two corners on your defense combined to give up one reception for 11 yards and you still give up 48? Well, I'm going to tell you how, friends, because Ole Miss had uh, two running backs and a tight end combined for 462 yards and six touchdowns. So they found uh, what we like to call matchup advantages, and they took advantage of them like Lionel Richie. It was an all-night-long sort of thing. That's not even the wildest stat from this game last year, though. 
The wildest stat from this game last year, I tweeted this out about an hour ago, was also the wildest stat from anywhere in 2020 college football. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to do it twice, because the first time is going to sound like I misspoke, but I didn't. Alabama gained 723 of 764 possible yards. That's not a stat you ever read, right? That's not a stat that you ever bother talking about. Ole Miss prevented 41 total yards in the game. What that means is Bama, I think, had 11 possessions. They punted on the Ole Miss 40-yard line once. They got stopped on downs at the one-yard line once. They scored a touchdown every other drive. They got like 92% of total possible yards in the game, which, as I said at the time and will reiterate, is as close to playing against air as you'll ever come in an SEC football game. I mean, they, that's mind-boggling. So what does that mean for this year? Well, I think Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin look at it and they say, we will absolutely go right back to that well. Because if you look at Bama right now, well, they've got Josh Job or Jalen Armour Davis. Like They've got some, some good pieces at corner where they've been vulnerable is at linebacker. Where they've lacked being assignment sound and gap sound is at linebacker. And I'm not saying they don't possess the potential to be that. I'm saying they haven't been that so far this year. Uh, there have been disappointing times for them at safety as well. Match up, match up, match up. So that's what Lane Kiffin's looking at right now. The big question is, do those matchups exist? Because that's where the game will be won or lost, as it often is with a Lane Kiffin-led team. But the external factors that really didn't exist last year, I think, will matter here. The first is something is expected of Ole Miss now. It wasn't last year. Number two, you've got the road environment to deal with, and I think it will be a factor here. And number three, I think that Bama didn't do anything particularly well defensively last year. This year, because of the pass rush that they feature, what I do think is they can force a whole lot more third and long situations, which lead to some inevitable fourth downs. And I wouldn't be surprised early on in this game if Lane Kiffin's forced into some very very high-risk type coaching decisions that he knows he has to make. I'm talking about some fourth and twos at the 50-yard line, stuff like that. I think we'll see some of those before the half. And I think, you know, that's a coin flip. Either way, it will have a wild varying degree of outcome on the overall result in the second half and beyond. Uh, beyond would be overtime. But you know what I mean. Like that stuff, if you get stopped and you give it to him on the 50 versus you convert – and then five plays later, you score. Not only do you take a possession away from them, you put seven on the board. That could have a three-touchdown swing over the course of the rest of the game if you extrapolate it. I cannot overstate enough how wide the variance is in a game like this. It's sort of the anti-Auburn-Penn State. When we were at the Auburn-Penn State game a couple of weeks ago, or if you were watching on TV, you were watching, and it felt like they could play until Wednesday, and no team would ever take a three-score lead. Whereas in this game, you could tell me Bama wins at 50 to 20, and I would not be shocked. You could tell me Ole Miss wins at 42 to 38, and I would not be overly shocked. Either of those results could very well come to fruition Saturday, and I would be probably equal parts surprised at either one. What I am interested in, as we get ready to look at what the model thinks, and I'll give you my pick on this game, what I am interested in is we have not seen so far this year one of those classic quarterback duels where one side has to keep answering the other. We may not see it here, but we could. Because this is the first time that if we were, you know, lining up the quarterbacks in America and you were labeling a top five, I think this is a top five quarterback matchup right now. 
and you could see it as both defenses and both offenses settle into the flow of the game. You could see some point trading, and you could see Matt Corral continue to have to answer the bell or Bryce Young continue to have to answer the bell, at which point that becomes very entertaining, but boy, it becomes a nightmare for defensive coordinators. So Jesse, let's take a look at what the model thinks, and let's take a look at the very latest number out of Vegas. The latest number has kind of come back down closer to two touchdowns. As of tonight, and we're doing the show on Tuesday night, Bama's a 14.5-point favorite. The model was at 16.5 and and is at 16.5 for us. So we think the line was right a couple of days ago, and there's been some Ole Miss money come in. Let me tell you where I land on this. There is a feeling. I don't know how much validity I give it because I can't prove to you anything. There is a feeling that amongst a lot of people in the coaching community, Ole Miss seemed to be able to predict with a little bit too high a degree of certainty what was coming from Alabama last year. I'm saying this very carefully, kind of lawyer speak. You can read between the lines. If that's not true, forget about it. If it is true, you'll know early on. Because if it is true, then this Ole Miss offense will look a whole lot more like they did against Barry Odom in Arkansas than they did against Pete Golding and Nick Saban in Alabama last year. What I think is going to happen is we're going to have 100 versions of this game, and I'm putting my quarter in, and the grab claw machine goes down. The particular version of this game that I think we see Saturday is one where Bama ends up winning by over three touchdowns. So I'm going to take Bama to win, and I'm going to take Bama to cover, knowing full well I could be so wrong that Ole Miss wins the game outright. But my pick is Bama to win, Bama to cover. We get to go to a campus Saturday. We did not get to do that last week. Always love being on campuses. Have not been around the quad, for example, at Alabama since the LSU game of 2019. It's the last time I got to go to a game in Alabama. They love Academy Sports in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And a lot of you there watch the show. A lot of you are going all over the place this Saturday. I read the list. Some of you are going to be in Fort Worth. Some of you are going to be in College Park, Maryland this Friday night. Manhattan, Kansas will be on fire Saturday. Lexington, Kentucky, the undefeated Wildcats welcoming in Florida all over the place. You guys are going to have incredible tailgate scenes. You know how to complete it, and it is our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you don't have time, if it's getting a little bit later in the week, responsibilities are piling up on you, that's okay. Just hit them up, academy.com. They are more than capable of overnight shipping you whatever you need for Saturday to complete that tailgating experience, whether it's a nice tent, whether it's a fancy grill, or whether it's just a new long sleeve tee to put on your back because the weather's changing. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they are the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, and of this show, Late Kick. And boy, we appreciate them being, especially the latter part, Academy Sports and Outdoors. Let them take care of you this weekend. <clears throat> so far, Colin, the voice is still there. Hold on. <clears throat> yeah, st- okay, it's still there. So we are good to continue the show here. What a game we have teed up right after you finish breakfast Saturday morning, maybe even not done with breakfast on the West Coast, but even you guys out in Santa Monica, California, need to be watching this game. Arkansas, an 18-point dog, 18 and a half actually, against Georgia. Between the Hedges, there in Athens, noon kickoff Eastern time on ESPN. This matchup is why you can't afford to miss a week in college football. This particular matchup, Arkansas-Georgia, I want you to think about it. Where were you last year when they played? Do you remember when they played? They played to open the season. That was the Dewan Mathis era 
it lasted a few possessions for Georgia. We went through the entire preseason. You started to get a groundswell of confidence. If you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, that maybe it is Dwan Mathis. Maybe he is the guy. Because uh, Jamie Newman, he, he bailed on us. Uh, Dewan Mathis was not the guy. And he was exposed very quickly, and you never heard from him again. And Stetson Bennett ended up coming in. But Georgia trailed them 7-5 to five at the half, is what I'm trying to tell you. How long ago does that feel? Arkansas goes on to do what they did last year. Georgia goes on to lose the East. So neither of them are playing for anything consequential in the last weekend of the season. And yet here they are. They're both undefeated. This is a top-10 matchup. Nobody in their right mind or even some in their wrong mind could have predicted that a year ago or even a few weeks ago, and yet here we are. Do not miss a week of college football. They, they give you spring. They give you summer. You can take care of all the things you need to do in your life then. You better not be missing a week or you miss a lot in this sport. How did Arkansas beat Texas A&M? Defense and what? What is in the second blank? If you're just a casual observer, you probably think, well, it's Arkansas, so they probably played good defense and they probably ran the ball, right? Well, they did run the ball. They had a pretty good day on the ground. I think they ran it 49 times for 197 yards. That's about four yards per carry. It's a good day, but that's not vintage Arkansas. When Arkansas is rolling, they're peeling off two and a quarter, 275, maybe 300 on you. Ask Texas what it looks like when Arkansas is rolling. No. What beat Texas A&M last week was defense, and it better be there again this week, but it was explosive plays through the air. And it didn't take five or six of them. It was a couple of explosive touchdown plays through the air, one of them like 80 yards, one of them about 50 yards, and they won. They won 20 to 10. So Georgia is a very good defensive team. I'm not going to waste time telling you what you already know. Here's what I do want to know. To what degree will Georgia have success stopping the run? Because there's a big difference between limiting Arkansas to something like 68 total yards rushing at which point Arkansas has no shot of winning this, or limiting them to 145 yards rushing, with which point a complementary approach could have Arkansas in the game in the fourth quarter with a chance to win it. That's question number one. Now i got to get to this, this talking point out there that exists about Georgia, mainly those of you who despise the program, and you would tell me, well, yeah, Georgia's 4-0, but they hadn't really played anybody. They haven't played anybody. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. doesn't really mean anything, guys, because if I put the Bucks or if, who's the best team in the NFL? If I put the Rams right now in college football, but I had them play a few FCS teams, you'd have half of y'all out there say, the well, Rams haven't played anybody. Okay, but they'd be favored by 40 over every college football team. It's possible for you not to have played anyone, and you also be really good. And in Georgia's case, please be real. I know Clemson's underachieving. Clemson's a legitimate football team, so let's please not pretend like they aren't. And the second part to that is, Georgia's done exactly what you're supposed to do when you play inferior teams. They've beating them into a coma. Beating them into a coma is exactly what you're supposed to do. That's what all the great teams do. And so you haven't played anyone's all relative. Is it possible they're a little bit overhyped? Yeah. I told you earlier this week, I think they are a little overhyped. But you know what could be true here? Georgia could be overhyped and still be the best team in the country for all I know. I've absolutely got them as at least the number two team in the country. But they haven't played anyone is not a sound argument for why someone will or or won't win a game this Saturday. You're looking at their schedule right now if you're watching on YouTube. I'll tell you what people did not expect. What people did not expect is perhaps their biggest challenge until the Florida game to be coming in week four. Maybe week five on the road at Auburn, 
maybe if Kentucky gets it together week six, it wasn't going to be against Arkansas in week four. Like, what's Arkansas going to do? Well, let's talk about what they're going to do. Because I think it's going to be reasonable to expect Georgia to struggle establishing any kind of consistent ground game. That is something that, if you're going to nitpick, has been a little bit of an issue for them this year. Not all the time, but some of the time. And Arkansas, is, their average age is like 31 years old up front, so they're going to do a good job. Are the Arkansas Razorbacks limiting the run? But as we saw against A&M last week, you could limit the run and then pop one on you. That could be the difference in a game. Now, it wasn't last week, but all it takes is missing one gap on one play, and you can shut them out the rest of the afternoon. Someone peels 75 on you, goes to the house. Sometimes it doesn't matter. I think Arkansas is going to be okay in run defense, and it's reasonable to expect Georgia to maybe struggle, maybe not hang 200 of their own on the ground. But it's also reasonable, I think, to expect JT Daniels in this passing game to have a relatively high amount of success between the 20s. I don't think that's where the game will be won. That's why I'm seeding that point. What I do think is imperative for both teams, it would be very, very beneficial if they could score on explosive plays. Because to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of faith at the moment in either of them, knowing what the other defense possesses, if we're trying to win the game down in the red zone. Like red zone offense, and therefore red zone defense, will entirely decide this game. Now, there are a few more things that Arkansas needs to have happen that Georgia would just like to have happen. But one of the things that could turn this very quickly is you either turning it over on downs, uh, missing field goals, or settling for threes when the other guy is putting sevens on the board. The red zone is going to be where this game's won and lost. Some things to keep in mind before we get to the pick here. Um, Last week, early in this game against Texas A&M, Arkansas, as I said, popped a couple of deep balls. And I know that coaching staff at Georgia has two things. Number one, they really like to be physical and aggressive, and they like to get in your face and play man coverage. But then the second part has to be that you have to have a an opponent-specific game plan. And if I were looking at Arkansas and I were knowing that I think I can limit their run because I have a bunch of small houses along my defensive line, I'm not so sure I wouldn't soften up coverage a little bit. I'm not so sure. I know this is a dirty word for Kirby Smart. I'm not so sure zone wouldn't be more the order of the day for me. And at that point, if K.J. Jefferson still beats you over the top, then that's all well and good. We've seen Georgia, though, with the approach they normally take, they'll give up a deep ball. They'll give up a couple of deep balls. And Kirby Smart will meet you in the postgame press conference, and he'll just say, look, I tipped my cap to him. They made a good throw. They dropped it in the bucket. Like, that's college football, man. Well, yeah, it is. But that's normally when you're playing a more potent and versatile offense. And I don't know how versatile Arkansas is going to be Saturday because I don't know how healthy and how ready to run the ball 15 times K.J. Jefferson will be. And so because of that, I'm interested to see how aggressive Georgia is at corner because there'll be a couple of matchups Arkansas looks to expose and, and looks to attack, and they could have some success if you're overly aggressive. So that's point number one. Point number two, how off balance can Barry Odom keep JT Daniels? And by that, I mean how many second and nines, how many third and sevens can we force, how many obvious passing downs can we get him in to the point where you give your defense an opportunity to force mistakes? Because you could say if you wanted to, devil's advocate style, you could say about JT Daniels, the guy has really not had to have his feet in the fire in the fourth quarter against a legitimate defense. Like last year in the Mississippi State game, that was the situation, but I don't know that that was the caliber of opponent that they're facing right now. So you could say that. The Cincinnati game notwithstanding, it was a weird dynamic. You could say that. That doesn't mean he's not capable of it just means maybe we haven't seen the situation yet. 
Uh, thirdly, and this is one I saved for the end on purpose, you're going to have a lot of people who pick Georgia tell you they're picking Georgia because of the physical mismatch. Because physically, Arkansas's bread and butter is not something that matches up well against Georgia. Oh, I agree with that. I agree they're not going to out-physical Georgia. But let me tell you what I also think uh, that's probably going to raise some eyebrows. I don't think Georgia's going to physically manhandle them at all. I don't think there's going to be any point in this game where Arkansas wilts, is what I'm telling you. Georgia can lean all they want to. Arkansas can match the physicality enough to where they make it a four-quarter game. And, you know, Georgia, you, you can walk off the field having won 31-23, but also look over and say, wow, I mean, they, they withstood it. We thought they could withstand it for a half, maybe three quarters, but look at them. They're still over there standing right now. We got a, we got a judge's decision over here. We did not get the TKO. That's more the kind of game Georgia's going to have to win Saturday. If you think you're about to go in there, I don't care how many five-stars you got on your roster. I've seen Arkansas in person. Like, I, I know what that team's about. You're not bullying them or pushing them off the field. You're not leaning on them until they collapse. That's not the way Georgia's going to win. Precision, execution, you do have a superior roster. You absolutely do have that. But they got a lot of stuff over in their corner that is more than capable of withstanding it for four quarters. So with that in mind, Jesse, this is a fat point spread. Let's take a look at what Vegas says and what the model says. I've listened, I was listening to Jake Rowe and Kip and Rusty on the Dogs 24-7 podcast earlier today. And they were kind of flummoxed. You know how rarely I use that word. I think Rusty uses it all the time. But flummoxed were they at this point spread, being all the way up where it is. If you're not, if you're not watching right now, Caesars has it Georgia minus 18 and a half. Our model is just short of that. We got Georgia minus 17 and a half. And there's a lot of speculation out there that this number must be so high because K.J. Jefferson is questionable. That's not, that's not the case. The case is just flat-out odds makers would power rate Georgia when you factor in home field being whatever they want to factor. Let's just say three points. They just view them as that much better. I mean, every position group, if you don't understand the odds-making process, every position group is power-rated. And there are enough margins of plus one-and-a-half points, plus two-and-three-quarter points per position unit group that Georgia has that that's what it adds up to. That's not necessarily rocket science, but most people don't understand the odds-making process. And I, I just, I know it looks big. Like, I know that point spread looks big. My advice to you, if you think it's too big, is very simple. Open a sportsbook account and bet Arkansas. Uh, that's what we're going to do. Not hastily. This is not going to be a ramen noodle express pick, but I'll take Georgia to win. I do think it's a few too many points. Uh, the model is almost dead on the money. I think more along the lines of Georgia, you know, by two touchdowns, Georgia by 13, something like that. And that'd be a really good win for Georgia, by the way. So don't think just because they don't cover a really, really high line, they've underachieved. You're going to have to pay a premium to take Georgia or Alabama the rest of the year, in case you haven't noticed, with the first two spreads. But I'll take Georgia to win. I will take Arkansas to cover. All right, uh, we have got to do something here. Uh, probably going to make a lot of people mad, but that's okay because they're mad for the right reasons. JP Poll, week five edition. What is this? It is strictly power rating. It is forward thinking. Don't care about your resume. Do not care about merit. Don't care about rewarding you for a win or punishing you for a loss. All I care about is who would the model pick against who on a neutral field if they played tomorrow. That's what it is. What it is not is pretty much anything other than that. Here we go, Colin. <coughs> is it still there? Yes, the voice is still there. Okay. So let's take a look at, we like to count it down, there's still an itch, from 25 to 1. We go like five at a time. We have got a team that is the biggest riser out of any of these games and any of these, 
any of these polls that we've done so far this year. It's not in the first group here, but I'll get to it. So from 25 to 1, how about this? Right in advance of Friday night's matchup, Maryland, their first appearance inside the JP poll top 25. The Terps are up four spots, sound like Casey Kasem. They're at number 25. Pitt is number 24. They also make their initial uh, debut yeah, that's normally what a debut is. It is initial. In the JP poll, they're up five spots. They're at number 24. That's one of the biggest risers of the week. Michigan State, 23. Uh, Wisconsin dropped six spots. They're down to 22. Kentucky remains unchanged. They are at 21. Now we got a big riser at number 20. This team had fallen out of the top 25. They're back. They're up five spots. Arizona State, we thought was very impressive. In a game you probably didn't watch, but we thought they were very impressive. So we got them at 20. Notre Dame and Auburn are 19 and 18, exact same spot they were in last week. Okay, now we get into the muddy water. A lot of you think Clemson should not be ranked. Based on resume, you're right. This is not a resume test. This is just power rating. I I cannot drop Clemson as far as you want me to. Having said that, they are one of the biggest drops of the year. Clemson is at number 17. They're down seven spots. Iowa State is at number 16. The model likes them because they keep losing based on turnovers. That's not something, as I've told you many times, that we think carries as much weight moving forward as if you just keep getting outgained and flat out outplayed. So uh, the fact they have two losses doesn't really matter there. Texas A&M is number 15. That is with Calzada at quarterback. They're down four. UCLA, a big riser. They're up six to number 14. Really like UCLA heavily considering making them a ramen noodle express pick this Saturday against Arizona State. Uh, Iowa is 13. Michigan is 12. How about this? I don't know that I've ever seen a jump this high, actually, in the JP poll. Texas rose 14 spots to number 11. Here's what the model is seeing. The model is seeing that there has been a massive correction at quarterback, which is obviously the most important position on the field, and it is responding accordingly. And so Texas Just number 25, I think, last week, they are now bordering on top 10 status. We've got Arkansas up seven spots to number 10. So Arkansas in the top 10 now, and that is a power rating top 10, not an AP top 10. If this were an AP poll, Arkansas would be higher. Uh, Keep in mind, Iowa is also undefeated. We still have them 13. So that's a big jump to number 10. How about Oklahoma down six spots to number nine? I told you, JP poll idiot, didn't want to listen to me. Oklahoma's not the third best team in the country. I disagreed with my own poll last week, and I was right. Kind of hard to be wrong when that's the argument, but I was right. Ohio State up one spot to number eight. Oregon and Cincinnati are number seven and number six. Okay, here we go. Top five. Ole Miss remains unchanged. They are at number five. Florida has cracked the top five. The Gators are at number four. We were very impressed Some of you weren't, mainly the Xbox community. We were impressed that they pulled away from Tennessee in a letdown spot, physically especially, after Alabama. So Florida's at four. Penn State is at number three. There is a significant gap. And then you have Georgia at number two, Alabama at number one. Uh, For those asking, we have about a three and seven, uh, what is it, about three and 3.75 to four point gap between Alabama and Georgia. I thought maybe it would shift. It didn't. So we've still got a little bit of a gap between Bama and Georgia, but that's the top 25 right now. And uh, that thing, I mean, we've, we, we're quickly going to have, I think, some movement inside even the top 10. The top 10, relative to the rest of the thing, ha- has been pretty calm. 
I don't think that's going to last much longer. So let's keep an eye on that. There you see right now the top 10, Arkansas. Again, congratulations, because that's, that's something even I didn't see coming. Arkansas at number 10 right now. Uh, just one spot behind Oklahoma and one spot ahead of Texas. Whomst they already beat into submission just a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> okay, got one more game to get to, allegedly, if the voice complies. Do you know what's happening Saturday in South Bend? Cincinnati is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That's what's happening on the road at Notre Dame. The over-under is 50-and-a-half for what it's worth, but take a look at Cincinnati's. Cincinnati's opportunity is probably the biggest one here that I've seen them have. I know they've played in bigger postseason games. To me, this is the biggest game I remember Cincinnati having. And some people are still holding out on that whole G5 myth. And the myth is, of course, that a G5 team can't make the playoff, which has never been true. They never have made the playoff because no G5 team has deserved to make the playoff. That is my opinion. That isn't, well, it's also been the opinion of the committee. There are people who are falsely equating the past to meaning that it doesn't matter if Cincinnati goes undefeated. They're not making it. You're insane. You're just wrong. If Cincinnati wins out, they're going to be in the playoff. If you don't think opinions have changed out there, would you please look at the bottom of the screen? Which team is favored in South Bend? It's not the Irish. It's not the undefeated Irish. There's been no G5 team in the past that had this kind of reputation. There's been no G5 team in the past that at the starting line had this much wind behind its sails. Cincinnati's going to the playoff if they're undefeated. Now, to be undefeated, this is the biggest challenge remaining on the schedule. They got to go into Notre Dame and they got to win. So Notre Dame, you look at them. You've probably watched them play a few times. Are they buying time? Or are they on borrowed time is kind of the two classifications I think they could fall into. If they're, if they're buying time, then they're barely getting by until finally they hit a gear and that offensive line gets its act together and all of a sudden they can take advantage of the weapons out wide and they can feature a couple of future Sunday running backs, like all that stuff along with Jack Cohn and his potential, which is better than the quarterbacks they've had there. All that kind of finds its groove and, okay, remember those ugly wins? We didn't appreciate them at the time, but glad we got them because now we're clicking. They could be doing that, or they could be living on borrowed time. And what that would be is, well, they've been winning ugly against Purdue and Toledo almost beat them and Florida State almost beat them, took them to overtime, and then they eventually hit a wall. And that's that. So which are they? I don't know. I can tell you right now, if one thing I could change in this sport would be Notre Dame's offensive line being very good as opposed to what they've been, that would change a lot about this team. So I can't do that. I don't have that magic wand. But what I am excited about is there's a positive for Notre Dame here. I know I sound kind of negative, but it's been reality. I'm not saying anything Notre Dame fans aren't saying over on irishillustrated.com, for example. But there's a positive here, and that is Desmond Ritter, the quarterback of Cincinnati, and the Cincinnati offense, they can be turnover prone. I think they played, who was it? They played uh, Murray State, sacked them twice. They had some turnovers against Indiana. I think they gave it away three times. Problem is, so did Indiana. They can be that. And this is by far the most disruptive front that Indiana will have faced all year. But the good news on the flip side for Indiana is Notre Dame hasn't faced an RPO threat defensively like Desmond Ritter and this offense will pose to them. So at the very least, what you hope to do is you hope to neutralize some of those edges Notre Dame has defensively by presenting some edges of your own. The matchup to watch, though, I don't go there. The matchup to watch for me is out wide. Cincinnati's defensive backs, they love press coverage. Oh, they love it. 
and it's given Notre Dame some trouble. And Notre Dame already this season has had some trouble getting off press, and Notre Dame hasn't handled it all that well, which stands to reason, you know, especially with a week to prepare, two weeks to prepare, I mean, Cincinnati's going to go right at that. And combining that with what you hope is an offensive line that you can take advantage of could really make this ugly for Notre Dame in trying to sustain drives. That doesn't mean you couldn't pop a big play every now and then, but you want sustained drives. And that's what Notre Dame hasn't been able to do nearly enough. But I will tell you this, in talking to a couple of folks around the Notre Dame program, they believe their offensive line is not quite the disaster that some people believe it is, and they also think it's getting better. They also think they could have a little more success running the ball Saturday than, let's say, the average projection would have them uh, putting on the board. So they think they're ready for this moment. Notre Dame does. Cincinnati absolutely thinks they're ready for this moment. So what I want to do, Jesse, let's go ahead and show the model, and let's take a look at what we think and what the Vegas number is. So I showed you. You see it on the bottom of the screen. Cincinnati currently favored by two and a half. Model loves Cincinnati, loves them, and I love them even more than that. I will take Cincinnati to cover. I will take Cincinnati to win. I think they're going to win by seven or more Saturday, and I think it is a moment they're ready for. Environment is something that is against them. I think what they showed when they went into Indiana is underrated. They went into Indiana. They did not play the best game. They ended up pulling away. I think people underestimate the shot they took from Indiana. Indiana was wounded animal, back against the wall, at home, season on the line. Like They got Indiana's fastball. For whatever that's worth, they got it, and they dealt with it on the road. Place was, I think, sold out, and so it was a big-game atmosphere. They'll ratchet it up a notch at Notre Dame, obviously. I don't think if Cincinnati loses Saturday, it's going to be because the moment was too big. I think it'll be because Notre Dame was too good, but I don't think that's the outcome. I'm taking Luke Fickle to get the biggest win of his career, and I think Cincinnati's going to win the game, and I think they're going to cover in the process. Ramen Noodle Express time. That game could end up on there, by the way. Not at the moment, but it could end up on there. Here are the games we're on. We've added two more. Kent State, minus 15.5, is the first game that we're on this week. We are also betting on food, and a lot of you said, I thought that was the number one rule, don't bet on food. No, the number one rule is don't lose to food. We are betting on food. We are laying two and a half points with rice. So, so we are on food this week. We are also laying ten and a half uh, with Penn State at home against Indiana. And we are also jumping on Louisiana Monroe again. We bet them as a 24-point dog last week. They won outright. No big deal. They beat Troy outright. They're going on the road to Coastal Carolina this Saturday. We're going to take Louisiana Monroe plus 34 and a half. We think it'll be inside four touchdowns. And backup quarterback, Third-string quarterback, we don't care. We love betting backup quarterbacks. We're going to take Kansas State plus 10.5 at home against Oklahoma. So K-State plus 10.5, La Monroe plus 34.5, Penn State minus 10.5, Rice minus 2.5. Why can't we get round numbers? And Kent State minus 15.5. That is our show. I probably have three, maybe four minutes of voice max left, and I'm going to save all that to tell Colin goodbye. Thank you for hanging in there, even through the coughs tonight. Make sure you check out the Late Kick podcast because the Late Kick Extra podcast from today had some nuggets in there. It is only available via podcast. And as you can tell, I'm taking podcasts more seriously because all of a sudden they're successful. And so now I want to start paying attention to them a little bit more. So thank you so much. Uh, I am about to head to Georgia tonight, a rare home visit during the season. Uh, We will be on the air Thursday. Don't worry about that. Uh, But think of me as you lay your head down to sleep tonight. 
I'll probably be somewhere in Alpharetta, Georgia or something like that. So thanks so much. Make sure you're following on Instagram and Twitter at LateKickJosh. For Director Colin, for our crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.